athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. From the press box to press row, the dopest show on radio is on the air. I am your host, Donald Ware. NBA playoffs are hot and heavy, and I got to tell you, that Bucks and Nets series, and you think about it, no James Harden in this series to this point, and the Nets are in absolutely outstanding position. And this is the thing. I think a lot of people thought that when James Harden went down, it was going to be tough for the Nets. They had, like, a couple of things here with that. Number one, the three players hadn't played together a whole lot. I think it was just like a handful of games that all three players played together at the same time. That's number one. When you have dynamic players like that, and Kevin Durant is absolutely unbelievable. Just an unbelievable – I mean, like, the like what the, maybe the best scorer in the history of the NBA. I don't like to get into saying things like that because – you have to, I think when you judge these things and when you say somebody is the best of this and the best of all time, you have to go by the era in which that person played. So in this era, he's, the, to my opinion, the best scorer in this era, the best scorer in this era. When I look at the history of basketball and some of the things that Kevin Durant can do at 6'11", handles the basketball, the pull-up, Jay, the three-pointer. I mean, he hits three-pointers, doesn't even hit the net. I mean, there are, you know, Steph Curry, you could also, you know, Dame Lillard, right? I mean, these guys maybe are better shooters, right? But when you talk about a mid-range game and nobody being able to challenge you, like those guys, 6'2", 6'3", shorter guys, who's going to challenge Durant? Like only a handful of guys going to be able to keep up with him. And and the other thing, by the way, with respect to Kevin Durant, he also is a good defender. Like, he's just absolutely phenomenal, right? But remember, two years ago, it was KD and Kyrie that came to Brooklyn. There was no, there was no James Harden. He just happened to come along this past year which was definitely, I made it, 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 to me, it made it a situation where, to me, the Nets were going to be the team to win it. They were going to be unstoppable. Did, I didn't really need to see those three guys play together. You, To me, and I said this when the trade was made for Harden, I, I just thought that Harden would defer uh, a, a little bit because he wants to win. Like, he's getting up there in age. He's been in the league a long time. He's done about everything you can do in the league. He's won an MVP. 
He's won a scoring title, all of those things, but he hasn't won a championship. And this is his best opportunity to win a championship. So I thought he would defer. He, in fact, did. As a matter of fact, not only he didn't, well, he did defer when the three of them played together. And even when it was either Harden or and Durant or Harden and Kyrie, he deferred in some respects. But, like, he wants to win a championship. But this was about Katie and Kyrie from the jump. So whoever thought that just because, and, and we thought it was going to be a good series anyway. I never thought, I thought always that the Nets would win the series. I never thought that once Harden went down, they'd take a step back. Like, no, this was about Katie and Kyrie anyway, and not to mention all of the other good players. I mean, look at Blake Griffin. He's playing absolutely unbelievably, right? We, we, you know, we, we still haven't seen Green in the series. He's still nursing an injury, could c- probably come back at any time. Like, they have – this is – tell you what, the Nets are really, really good, even without James Harden. So this has been a surprise of a series. I thought that it would be a better series. I, I think I said that I thought the Nets would win the series in six games anyway, uh, even without – Harden, I still stand uh, by that. So these NBA playoffs, as I said last week, have been tremendous and continue to be tremendous as well. And even though the Bucks got one on Thursday, the series is now 2-1. to one. I don't bring Harden back until and if the Bucks ultimately tie things. And we're going to talk more uh, about that particular game, especially down the stretch and I think when the Nets see on tape, when they have a chance to look at the tape, they'll see a lot of the mistakes that were made. And even with the two to one lead, I think it's to me, it's a commanding two to one lead for the Nets. Who thought also that we would see the Suns have the lead that the Suns also have now over the Nuggets. Again, I think, that with the Nuggets not having Jamal Murray is much bigger than I think people are talking about and that people realize. Now, I get it. When Jamal Murray went down, the Nuggets, I mean, from the time that Murray went down to the end of the season, it wasn't like some kind of big drop-off when you look at an an Anthony Davis-less Lakers with LeBron or a LeBron-less Lakers with Anthony Davis, where they win win some games, they go about 500. No, they played, continued to play well. This is a good team led by the MVP of the league, Jokic, which we'll talk a little bit more about his MVP nod. But man, the Suns, like, it was a big question mark for the Suns, especially. So when Anthony Davis went down, I mean, that pretty much sealed things for the Suns. And the Suns just took advantage of that and went on to really beat the Lakers down. I never thought that the Lakers would repeat it as champions. I did think that they would beat the Suns way wrong there. The Suns absolutely, I mean, just beat the Lakers down and took advantage of an AD being absent. Absent. But when you look at Chris Paul, man, Chris Paul is, I mean, like you look at the teams he's been on. You look at OKC last year. You look at when he first came to the Clippers. I mean, he just makes teams better. And you look at a guy like a Devin Booker, like I didn't know what to expect from the Suns, like the Suns, Utah, 
teams like that. I mean, you know, I thought the Clippers would be uh, would be good. I just didn't trust the Suns, and I really didn't trust Utah. And I didn't in, in the East. I didn't trust Milwaukee because what I've seen from those two teams the last couple of years, great records, can't get it done in the playoffs, uh, right? But and I didn't know what to expect from Phoenix because Phoenix was a team as a young team hadn't been to the playoffs. On the rise, no doubt, but the playoffs is a different situation. Like the Suns are unbelievable, led by Chris Paul, but it's given Devin Booker a lot of confidence. Like Devin Booker already was a really good young player, one of the best, you know, one of the top five young players in the league, but he's taking his game to a whole nother level in these playoffs. You look at Aiden, DeAndre Aiden, like what he's been able to do from an offensive and defensive standpoint, he's raised his game offensively, but he's also getting it done defensively as well. So the Suns are getting it done as we currently stand uh, right now with the Suns lead over the Nuggets. So a lot of great NBA that is going on right now. We're going to talk some more NBA on the program here today on Box to Row. Jokic of Denver. Wins the MVP. Like, I'm okay with it. I thought the MVP should have been Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid has been absolutely tremendous the entire season. You look at what he's been able to do in the playoffs. He's been absolutely tremendous in the playoffs as well. I know Steph Curry was in the running. Um, For me, the, the three finalists, for me, I would have had Embiid first then Curry, then Jokic, and I'll tell you why. And 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 some of that, when you look at Curry, he got five first-place votes. I, I, Embiid only got one first-place vote, uh, whereas Jokic just dominated. And I'm going to tell you why I think Embiid, I would pick Embiid over Jokic. To me, they do, they're very similar. I mean, they both are big men that can shoot from outside, can shoot the three, can play in the post. Extremely skilled big men. I think that when you look at passing, Jokic is definitely the better passer. Like he's, what, average almost a triple-double. So Jokic, no question about it, the better passer between the two. The separator to me is Embiid is the better defender. And so when you account for, it doesn't, the the award is not offensive MVP, it's MVP. And to me, when I factor in what Embiid can do offensively, and then I factor in his defense as well, to me, I think that should have put him over the top. But I think when you're looking at this, you have to look at the availability of the player as well. Jokic played all 72 games this year. Played all of the games uh, this year, whereas Embiid, uh, not so much. Uh, This year, you know, he was hurt a little bit in the playoffs. um, uh, As well, he got hurt uh, facing the, uh, you know, uh, against the Wizards, uh, right? So, you know, he, 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 he was, I mean, he, he didn't, it wasn't like he had an injury prone season or anything like that I mean it, it it definitely wasn't that he played 51 games this year which is you know I mean 51 out of 72 games what's that I mean that's in the that's in like the 70 percentile uh 
Uh, but you're talking about Jokic who played every game, and I think that was the separator. Because it's hard to separate. Like, both, I mean, you look at these guys in the post. Like, have we seen? I mean, I, I happen to I happen to like in the post Embiid a little bit more. I mean, I think he's a little bit more aggressive. Um, have we ever seen, like, I, you know, I think of, about uh, Hakeem Olajuwon when you talk about centers that, were just dominant. Obviously, you look at a guy, you know, you look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, you look at all of these guys that that had skill sets uh, and could do other things. Like Kareem had the sky hook. Um, you know, you look at uh, Hakeem. He he had so many moves in the post. Like his his game, his move, his moves in the post were unbelievable, right? But when you look at what separates Embiid, and I'm not saying he's better than these guys or want to rank, you know, he. He's a guy that can shoot from outside. Like, he can shoot three-pointers. Like, Kareem, Hakeem, they, they, they couldn't shoot three-pointers. Like, Embiid shoots three-pointers and makes three-pointers. His mid-range game is great. His moves are great. He can do the little step back. He can handle the ball. Like, those guys weren't great ball handlers. Embiid is a guy that can handle the ball. I know we're moving sort of in that direction, and I would venture to say probably – in the next 10 to 15 years, I mean, every big man, seven-footer, is going to be able to handle the ball. It's like like the, the center position as we know it may be obsolete from the traditional center position as we know it. All these guys now, I mean, Jokic, all these guys can handle the basketball at seven-foot. And so it's unbelievable. But I, for me, you know, my money uh, was on Embiid to win the MVP. But I think Jokic, you know, is a guy that played all the games. I think he definitely deserved it. So uh, congratulations to Jokic. Um, And we're going to talk about some of the other superlative awards that were handed out. We're going to do all of that today, of course, right here on Box to Row. Let's step aside, take our first break, come back. I'm going to have some thoughts on Coach K's retirement. We didn't talk about it a lot last week, plus a conversation with Indianapolis 500 winner Elio Castronoves as Box to Row rolls on. On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Kelsey Colzer, the head coach of the Arcadia Women's Ice Hockey Program, first black head coach in NCAA history. Obviously an incredible feeling. I feel this sense of almost a bit of shock sometimes of how has it taken this long to have, you know, the first black head hockey coach. Um, Obviously hockey has not always been the most diverse sport. I think, you know, we're definitely making strides now to increase diversity. You know, I think it's been a long time coming, but I think the hockey world is definitely ready. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Join Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. The others pretend you're listening to the show that brings you up close and personal. Up close and personal. With the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Here's the man to bring it to you, Donald Ware. We're back here on Box to Row. In the last segment, talking some NBA. We're going to talk more NBA on the program the Utah Jazz up 2-0 on the Clippers. We'll talk more about that. But again, 
the series now shifts back to LA and LA got a big jump from its crowd in its victory in the last series when it looked like against Dallas when again the Clippers were down 2-0 I think this one is a little bit different this series is a little bit different you're talking about a Utah team that is very very good much like what I was talking about with respect to the Nets in the last series Mike Connolly is not available right now I don't bring Mike Connolly back if I'm Utah until the Clippers tie because, I mean, the Clippers are the uh, Jazz really getting it done against the Clippers right now. I mean, give the Clippers a lot of credit. But let, let, let's talk a little bit more about that series and some more NBA playoffs. Plus, my thoughts. I gave my thoughts on the MVP, some of the other NBA awards a little bit later on in the program. Also, still to come here, a conversation with Indianapolis 500 winner, Elio Castro Neves, as a matter of fact, he's won the Indianapolis 500 now four times, did it uh, a couple of weeks ago. I had a chance to catch up with him on last week. Going to play replay part of that conversation a little bit later on in the program. Well, one of the topics of conversation that we did not really discuss on last week was the retirement of Duke Hedman's basketball coach, Mike Krzyzewski or Coach K and more than that I mean he was the coach for three Olympic teams of uh, USA basketball had a lot of success there had an opportunity to coach in the NBA with the Lakers really had an opportunity to do that back in 2004 turned that down to continue to be the coach at Duke but got a taste of that pro ball in terms of being the head coach of Team USA. Again, mentioned we talked a lot about his days at Duke, but I think what we also have to talk about, obviously, is his time with USA Basketball. Three gold medals, three gold medals with USA Basketball, which is absolutely tremendous because if you remember prior to him taking over as the head coach, uh, USA Basketball, in, in terms of, in the Olympics, didn't have the success, especially when you're talking about high-level uh, NBA players and not winning the championship. Coach K changes things, brings guys together, and ultimately uh, wins three gold medals. So that is a huge part of his legacy, no doubt. We talked about the five national championships uh, as well. He was a man in the community as well, in Durham, did things uh, for those who were less fortunate uh, through his foundation. So just an absolute treasure. He's definitely going to be missed in the basketball world. He's going to be missed here in the triangle. And fortunately for us here on Box to Row, had an opportunity to catch up with him on three separate occasions on the pro the program. And I want to take you through Three topics of conversations, again, at three separate times. So we caught up with him in 2011, 2014, and 2015. Big shots out, by the way, to the Duke uh, External Relations uh, Office for setting up these interview or these conversations, as I like to call them, over the years. But had a chance to just talk with him about a number of 
of things. And, and instead of me setting it up, I'll let the conversations speak for themselves. When you recruited uh, Kyrie Irving, did you think he was a, a player that would uh, play one year for you, go to the NBA? Uh, has your recruiting philosophy changed in terms of recruiting uh, more players now that may stay only a few years? And finally, does the NBA need to raise the minimum number of years uh, that a player needs to play in college? It's, of course, currently one right now. Well, I think they're, they're all the three parts are all good. Uh, one, uh, we did recruit Kyrie knowing that he would probably be one and done. And uh, although you're never completely sure because youngsters may not achieve the level of success or they, they might think they need a little bit more seasoning. But in Kyrie's case, we knew going in that he had a chance to be the best player and maybe even a number one pick. So that didn't surprise us, and we were fine with that. And hopefully he will be the one, number, uh, number one uh, pick. As far as changing our philosophy in recruiting, we will recruit youngsters who have the potential to be gone after one year. Uh, with Kyrie going, we now have three guys who fit that, uh, Luol Deng, Corey Maggette, and now Kyrie. Uh, and uh, you just ha- have to be careful that you don't recruit too many of them where you're always so young. And uh, But you know we'll, we'll look at that as long as the youngster wants to go to school and would even want to continue his education after going to the NBA, which is what Kyrie wants to do. As far as what the NBA is going to do, this new collective bargaining agreement that they're going through, a a small part of it is, you know, what they do, you know, with kids coming out of uh, out of high school, and uh, whether that gets to the table or not, we'll see. Uh, But what I would like to see is a combination of 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 two things. One. I still think a youngster should be allowed to go out of high school if he's good enough and would be drafted in the first round. Uh, I, I don't see why you would. They've done that before. I've coached a few of those guys on the Olympic team, guys like sure. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and Dwight Howard. But if they do go to college, I think you should stay two years. And that makes sure that we're honoring the commitment to the academic institutions that we represent. And when you only stay here for less than a year, only two semesters, I'm, I'm not sure that's a, a good message to send to our, the academic community uh, about youngsters you know, representing their school. You know, you had a, a historic meeting with, with Joe Paterno, of course, the head football coach at, at Penn State, uh, which will, of course, be shown on ESPN June 30th. Coach K, I got to take you back to January 25th, your 1,000th win against St. John's. And, I mean, you you know, it would have been nice, obviously, to win it at Cameron Indoor. And, and especially the way you guys went. I mean, less than 10 uh, minutes left to play in the game. You're down by 10 points. But it's got to feel pretty good and, and really apropos to get that 1,000th victory at the world-famous Madison Square Garden. Well, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's a great observation. Uh, you know, outside of Cameron, the, the place that I think is the next most magical place for me is Madison Square Garden. We've, uh, I've played there as a player. Uh, I'll just say I coached there a number of times. And really, when we uh, broke the record of 903, we also did it in Madison Square Garden. So 
uh, yeah. it's, that, that, that's kind of nuts, really, that, uh, you know, both those games, the, I, 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 say, I always tell my, my family, the basketball guys must have wanted to see those games in, you know, in a storied arena. So it just worked out that way. But uh, that game against St. John's, did not look like it was going to be the thousandth win. It, it, you know, they were out playing us, and Marshall Plumley came off the bench and really gave us a, an incredible spark and just got everyone moving. It's kind of like what Grayson Allen did, you know, uh, you know, for our team against Wisconsin. And uh, that's what makes really good teams is it's not just the star, but where any of the players might come in and provide a huge spark and then Marshall and St. John's uh, you know Grace, Grayson against Wisconsin we won at Louisville Emil Jefferson did it we won against Gonzaga uh, in the NCAA tournament and Matt Jones did it so you need contributions from everybody in order to you know, to, to win something very special. One of the things that uh, you've always done, and I can remember going back to uh, 2007, it was uh, uh, North Carolina Central's first year in Division I. Uh, but one of the things that you've always done, at least the last couple of years, you've always scheduled in exhibition the winner of the CIAA tournament and then also the winner of the Division II National Championship what led you to, uh, to to do that and schedule these teams in exhibitions? Well, thanks for noticing that. Uh, it's been a, a really good thing for us and the schools that are involved. Uh, you know, it, it's one of the top programs in, in our sport. I mean, we're not the only one, but we're one of them. Uh, you know, we should do continually look at things that are good for the game. And so... Uh, now a number of years ago, we started scheduling whoever won the Division II National Championship, and that's proven to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's like, you know, now, right after they win, they call us, <laughs> and uh, right. whoever it is, and, uh, and they usually bring down a, a pretty good contingent of people, and they get to celebrate that championship again before they actually get going playing regular games, and then you know, in our state, we have a lot of a lot of schools that uh, are not Division One, and a number of them that have been predominantly African American, and and uh, I, you know, I, I have great relationships with a lot of these schools, and you know, we thought that with our other exhibition game, that we would always play one of those schools from the state of North Carolina, and again, showcase their you know, share the spotlight with them on that night. And, again, it, that's worked out real uh, real well. And uh, as long as I'm coaching and they continue to allow us to have, uh, you know, two games, like uh, two exhibition games, I'll, I'll continue to do that because it's, it's been outstanding. Some great conversations over the years with Coach K, and we're looking forward to a conversation this year as he takes his farewell tour for the 21 22 season you're locked in to box to row i am your host donald where we're gonna talk some nba a little bit later on in the program some more nba talk i should say a little bit later on in the program up next a conversation with indianapolis 500 winner elio 
Castronovez here on the program as you've got it locked into From the Press Box to Press Row. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you play. Bubba Wallace. They feel like I'm throwing a race into the context here and it's not about race he's a driver at the end of the day everybody's making it about race it's all about the headlines these days not me saying like yep i'm the black guy here you're gonna not stop hearing about me it was more along the lines of the fans like hey it's cool i've been dealing with that for, for a while he's spike lee thank you i haven't heard that i mean i've been on rails all over the nation thank you for that question i'm a third generation morehouse man i was taught to speak your truth and that is very special about being a Morehouse man, the same way you feel about your school, the same way we feel all about our respective historic black colleges. That would have been my first choice anyway, and I'm proud to be a Morehouse man. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. And, uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride. Ron Rivera, you know, a great player. Did you see yourself as a coach? I've been told a lot of times by a lot of people, boy, you know, you're kind of like a coach on the field. I always felt at some point... Yeah, I'd probably get into coaching. It all started because of my son wanting to play football. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. You get to <laughs> Man, you know what is good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other. In common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. Dave Roberts, manager of the LA Dodgers, to be person of color and be the manager of the Dodgers. What does that mean to you? Well, I think the first thing that comes to me is responsibility. With recency and, and kind of the social, the racial issues that we're having that really come to light, which is, I believe, are good things. I think that it's a responsibility for me to be the first manager of color for the Dodgers. There's not many of us in baseball. To do things the right way, to hopefully give others, other people of color opportunities, hopefully it just paves the way. So I think that for me, I, I definitely look at it as responsibility, but something I'm willing to undertake. Omari Hartwick. And that's crazy that you say that. I got one of your colleagues and one of your contemporaries and that being Stephen A. He hit me about three weeks ago and he texted me and he said, oh, how did I miss this one? But it's equally been a beautiful thing for me to see how much you guys who work in sport are fans of me. But for you to like it as much as Stephen A. said he liked it and all within the last three weeks, you both are commenting on it. I'm in good company. We're, we're HBCU guys, you know. I know I'm in good well, company. Of course, bro. <laughs> Shout out to Howard University. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to one Salem State University, a uh, black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melo's. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. She's Simone Biles. Actually, really. 
fun. Like, to be honest, me and Allie had a lot of fun. We were like, oh, of course, like, we're in the best shape of our life. We're feeling confident about our body, and we hope that other young girls and women, like, feel that being strong is so beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because he was against his religion. Mm-hmm. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honest. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Planet Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. From the press box to press row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real. Relevant. Radio. Missed any of our shows? How about our conversations with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment? Check out Box to Row podcast at boxtorow.com or on Apple Podcasts. We track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Elio Castroneves won his fourth, count them four, Indianapolis 500s. Won it a couple of weeks ago in Indianapolis. There were fans in the stands, about half of what the capacity of the Indy 500 seats, about, uh, I think it was like 150,000 fans. It can seat like 300,000. And he was able to win it for the fourth time. It had been about 11 years or so since he won his last Indianapolis 500. And I had a chance to talk with him about a number of different things. Started off by asking him how it ultimately felt to be back in the winner's circle. Look, the thing is, uh, let me tell you, not many people had the opportunity that I had, and I was so happy and so blessed. But the fun part of it, a lot of the fans wants to make this happen. So this has been so special, winning the a number four. I mean, we're talking about A.J. Foyt, Alan Sr., and Rick Mears. I can't believe I'm in the same group of these guys. I mean, these guys are legends. These guys are the God races, you know. So all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm just right there. It is, it is incredible. So I'm super, super happy, of course, for that. But can't think of the fans, you know, and especially, you know, the partners. Auto Nation, Series XM, they, those guys believe in me. They gave me a phenomenal car. And, man, when you have those things happen, I was just a driver, you know, going around circles, and that was perfect. <laughs> Helio, you're the man, though. No, no, it's, it's interesting you say that to be in the company of to those gentlemen you mentioned, the great racers of all time, Al Unser, A.J. Foyt, Rick Mears, as you so eloquently 
uh, mentioned is it's got to be absolutely wonderful for you. You also mentioned the fans. What did it mean to have the fans back? That was something that was missing in the 2020 race. Yeah, it was so difficult in 2020 that when we were racing, there was nobody there. It felt like a practice. And Indianapolis, it's magical because of the fans. I'm talking about generation of generation, right? So people that uh, I, I met, so many people that my father used to bring me here. Now I'm here. Now I'm bringing my kid here. And that's where it's becoming so magical because you can't replace history. You can't. It's just a it's just not possible so when you don't have the fans it, it was very difficult however this year able to have at least 135,000 by the way this place can hold 300 to 400,000 people and when you have 135,000 people cheering and chanting your name man let me tell you it's it's a feeling that it's difficult to describe yeah I mean for you I mean would you finish 11th last year right so was I mean, what what's what was the difference? And again, you've been chasing this uh, for eleven years now, chasing another one. I mean, once you've won the Indy Five Hundred, you've really done something. To win it four times is magnificent. You just hadn't done it in eleven years. So, what was the difference between last year and this year? Well, this year was very special because I'm not only um, it was my first year without Team Penske. I've been racing with Team Penske for over twenty twenty one years. This is like a lifetime, right? And all of a sudden, Meyer Shank Racing, Mike Shank and Jim Meyer, they said, you know what? I, I, we spoke, obviously, last year, just all before everything happened. And I'm like, guys, I want to go back to IndyCar. I was racing sports car with Tim Pence, which we finished winning the championship. And I'm like, I want to go back. Let's make this happen. And those guys, I believe you. You know what? I can see your numbers, and you still got so much more to offer. I don't understand why they don't, they don't hire you, why they don't pick you. I was like, that's right, because they, they're not thinking about that. And, and so the difference was that to having people believe in it, they gave me an incredible car, and everything that Mike Shank was promising me, was like, this car is good, man, this car is good. And, and I said, that's all I ask, because I want to have a chance to fight. And once I figured it out that the, the setup was so good, I told those guys, guys, we have a chance to fight to win. That's, I'm not saying we're going to win, but we have a, definitely a damn good shot to, to, to fight for this win. And, man, it was just everybody stepped up their game. I'm not talking about just the, the equipment, but the, the pit stops, the strategies. Everyone did their part, and uh, that's why we're here today. That's the difference. No question about it, a big-time win. So they call you Spider-Man. You did it again. You know, you get the victory. You, you, you know, you climb the fence. You know, talk about that and that particular feeling, being able to do that uh, once again. And how, how that actually originated? Well, you know, I did it again. You're right. It was so cool. My first time I was actually in Detroit in 2000. I was supposed to go to the Victory Circle. I made a little mistake. I have to be honest. I wasn't listening at the driver's meeting. But <laughs> uh, I, I stopped right in the finish line. I don't know why. Um, don't ask me. I actually... When I stopped, I look around. I was like, where is the mechanics? Where is the TV? Where is everybody? It's my first race. But when I look and laugh, the crowd was going nuts. They're like super cool. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go celebrate with them. So that's how it started. And uh, when I did it at Indianapolis, everybody went, went crazy. And uh, I tell you what, Sunday was even better because uh, everybody was just stoked for, to, for, for all of a sudden being there, part of history. 
and I'm just blessed to be that guy to make it happen. Yep. Elio Castroneves, four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, including on Sunday winning it once again. He joins us here on Botch to Row. Can you speak, the as, as a Brazilian, the pride that uh, the folks in Brazil had uh, for you <laughs> once again winning the Indianapolis 500? Great question, by the way, because I've been getting message for so many people. In fact, not only, you know, general public, but I'm talking about people that have been in this business for so long, former drivers, former team owners, um, uh, people from, from federations, you know, it is so cool. Even, even uh, drivers from the other uh, country uh, being sent me message. So for me, that's the kind of like uh, respect that you don't ask for it. You earn it. And man, I'm telling you, uh, I, 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 I'm glad that everybody can see that because again, I would probably say the same thing. We're talking about number four. It's been 105 years that only four guys made it. I mean, three guys and now I'm the fourth guy. So it is special. It is for sure. special. Yeah. No question. Did you think, I mean, I, I, you know, when you come into this business, and particularly when you're talking about the Indy 500, not the Indy 500, but the Indy Car Series, so you're, you know, you're, 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 you're sort of at the top right there. Back in 2001, you make your debut. I believe it was your second race, but, I mean, at the end of the day, your first Indy 500, you win it back in 2001 as a younger guy. Back then, you know, and we've all been that way. You're young. You're right. maybe overconfident, a little bit cocky. Did you think that this was going yep. to be easy throughout the course of your career? No, no. I, uh, Like I said, the first one, in fact, it was my first ever oval win in 2001. So it was my first win in an oval. And I'm obviously, what a way to pick, you know, which, which oval you're going to win. But no, I never thought it was going to be easy because I know how competitive this business is. And uh, but I tell you what, when Tom Brady moved from uh, the Patriots to go to uh, the Buccaneers, and I'm like, wow, everybody. And how many people? You probably one of them said like, ah, oh, that's it. You know, the greatest quarterback is not going to make it happen. I'm assuming, by the way, I'm not saying that you did. But, <laughs> I got you. you know, uh, uh, and the point is, you know, the guy goes over there. You know, yes, prepare and. And boom, win the Super Bowl. I actually even said that to Mike and said, Mike, if Tom Brady did it, we can do it. But we got to have two races before I did ask that. Because I can't go through the first race with you and not knowing a lot. And, you know, makes miracle. But I tell you what, they believe it. They never said, we have a good car, Elio. No worries. We'll give you what you need. And they did. So when you have that confidence, people that should give you that confidence – Man, I I, have, I've, I was like, it's going to make, make it happen. That's why, in fact, I make that reference between me, uh, uh, Phil Mickelson, that you just won a PGA with 50 years old. And I was like, I, I can make this happen. And we did it. So it's um, I'm super proud of that. Super proud of that because I, I, I was eager to – I'm going to find out Tom Brady's number to have a lunch with him and said how he did it. But now it's a d- different one. It's like I don't need to ask you anymore because I know how he did it. <laughs> That is awesome. That is awesome, Elio. Last two thoughts. Do you think this is the year you've come second in the in in the standings 
uh, four times, the last being 2014. Do you feel like this is the year that you can you can win the series? I would love to, but I'm only, I only doing six races, five races now. And, I mean, just one race, just one race that we did in Indianapolis. We're already P14. And I tell you what, we only feel about 50 or 180 points behind the leader. I'm like, I, I told the, the team, put me in. Put me in for the rest of the season. We can make it happen. But, again, it's outside of my control. I would love to, and uh, but only with with five races to go, five races to do, it would be it would be very difficult. However, we got the big one, and I believe this small team, small budget, shows that with a big heart and with dedication, we can beat the the big ones, and uh, I'm happy about that. So, Elio Castroneves getting it done, another Indianapolis 500. Gracious to join us uh, last week, a gracious enough to join us, have a conversation with him last week. Uh, and uh, we appreciate his time right here on Box to Row. Well, as mentioned, we're going to shift gears, talk some NBA on the program, talked a little bit about the Nets and the Bucks. I think the Nets are still in really good position. They'll go back and look at the tape, make some corrections. Uh, the fourth quarter was a struggle really for both until Middleton and Durant starting started really change uh, trading baskets, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. What happened to the Nets down the stretch? I mean, that's a game you want to win. Obviously, you want to win all games, but man, if you have an opportunity to go up 3-0, which really the Nets—it's not even about Kevin Durant and the last shot happened before that. We'll talk more about that. We'll talk more Clippers and Jazz also here on box to row don't forget to follow us on twitter if you want to join the conversation as well hit us up on twitter at box to row b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w and on facebook b-o-x the number two r-o-w again more nba playoff talk is on the way right here on box to row Find us on Twitter and Instagram at box to row and on Facebook at From the Press Box to Press Row. And don't forget to tell your friends to check out all of the latest from Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the game of the week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. Box to Row.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? Box to Row.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All American teams and weekly media coaches' polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And Box to Row.com. Your HBCU sports leader. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. I was okay with Rudy Gobert winning another defensive player of the year award. I mean, I don't think you could really go wrong. I, I know a lot of the talk was that Ben Simmons was the front runner. I'm, I'm okay with Rudy Gobert. I mean, I think he's an excellent defender. He's won the award now multiple times. Um, you know, I was fine. I, I You know, I really like the job that Monty Williams has done with the Suns. I mean, I think he's done an absolutely incredible job with the Suns. Uh, again, as I mentioned, I think when you're talking about the Knicks 
and what the Knicks have been able to do. It's the New York market. You know, Tom Thibodeau, I mean, it's no doubt that Tom Thibodeau has done an absolutely tremendous job. I mean, you take a team that hadn't made the playoffs in, you know, so many years, I guess almost 10 years, to a team that finishes fourth in the East. I mean, it's a lot to be said about that. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt uh, about that for me uh, because it was exposed in the playoffs. And again, I've said this not only last week once the Knicks were eliminated by the Hawks. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks. The New York Knicks story is better than the team itself. And that was proved in the playoffs. I mean, I think the Hawks are a are a really, really good team where they're in a really tough, a really, really, really tough uh, matchup with the 76ers. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, I think that series is going to go down to seven games. But uh, listen, I'm okay with Tom Thibodeau, but I, I really think Monty Williams, when you talk about, I mean, because you're talking about a Suns team, eh, you know, either way. I mean, the Suns went all the way to second place a few games out of having, and when I say second place, I mean the second best record in the NBA. I mean, this is a team that uh, last year, I mean, yeah, okay, so they were in the bubble. They did well, as a matter of fact. So they were on that trajectory a little bit, especially with the way that they played in the bubble to now having the second best record in the NBA. And not only that, but also in the Western Conference where the records are much better than they are in the East. I mean, really, you could have gone either way um, again. I mean, I think a lot of it is because it's New York. Uh, I, I think a lot of what we heard about the Knicks is because you have a lot of the New York media and, you know, national uh, po- people that are a lot of them are in New York. So that's sort of the, been the talk, uh, right? I mean, I have no problem with Tom Thibodeau as the head coach. I think Monty Williams did an absolutely tremendous job as well. Could have really gone uh, either way. So let's talk some NBA playoffs, looking at uh, the Saturday games, the Nets and the Bucks. I mean, I thought the Nets had a prime opportunity to go up 3-0 and just down the stretch didn't execute well uh, at all down the stretch. Neither team played well. I mean, I think... A lot of the talk about the fourth quarter was defense. A lot of the talk specifically about the Bucks was how well the Bucks played defensively in the fourth quarter. I think they did play solid defensively, but I think a lot of shots were missed also uh, by the Nets. Uh, Kevin Durant missed some shots. I mean, he's a great play, missed some shots, but he started to warm up. So it's not. I'm not really saying that. I'm just saying there were some open shots. Uh, I thought by the Nets that were missed. Also on the other side by the Bucks uh, as well, because if you remember, there was a nice, there was a big stretch there in the fourth quarter where neither team really scored, and you had a really low-scoring game, 86 to 83. I mean, if you can hold uh, Brooklyn uh, to 83 points, you're really doing something. I don't see that happening on Saturday. I think that Brooklyn's going to make its adjustments. I think the Bucks played well, don't get me wrong, but I think the Bucks were fortunate to get out of uh, out of there with a win. Um, I don't think you're going to see Kyrie Irving shoot nine for 22 again, so I think that's going to be an advantage uh, for Brooklyn. I think he's going to step up. Um, you know, Durant, I mean, you can look at the numbers, 11 of 28. I mean, it wasn't his best 
shooting performance. But again, clutch time. He hit up. I mean, he hit a big three. Yeah, he missed the three at the end of the game. But look, I mean that that should it, it should have really never come down to that, in my estimation. I thought, you know, especially in that fourth quarter, I, I you know, I thought Bruce Brown had done some good things for the Nets. He had done some good things for the Nets. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that throughout the course of the game. I just thought in the fourth quarter he was trying to do a little bit too much. And especially on that last shot, if you remember that last shot where he the play sort of broke down, it was a bad pass. Kyrie able on the far sideline, able to save the ball, get it into Brown. Brown, I think there was still time. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes, and when you're in the city, I mean, it's, it's all you can always look and we can, you know, I can sit on and on the couch and watch the game and say, hey, you have more time uh, than you think. And Brown did. He had more time uh, than he thought. I think maybe his internal clock was sped up a little bit more, and so he tried to take it. He had a he had an open lane momentarily, but it was it was blocked off. But I think. In that scenario, you got to find one of the K's. You either have to find Kevin or you have to find Kyrie in that situation. And Ky- and Kevin was really <clears throat> on fire. You look at that three-pointer that he launched. Um, it was maybe inside of two minutes that he was able to knock down with a hand in his face. He had pulled up on a couple of jump shots, a couple of nice moves that he made, that mid-range game. I'm just telling you, this guy is I mean, you know, maybe the best – scorer of this generation. I'll just put it like that. But I think Brown probably trying to do a little bit too much. I believe he was like 0-4. He may have taken like four or five shots in the fourth quarter. But again, Kyrie, nobody else was really doing a lot. Kyrie was a little bit off in the ball game. You know, Joe Harris was off. I mean, I think if Joe, Joe Harris – is not going to go one for 11. Joe Harris makes one more shot, then I think the Nets win the game. Harris was way off, right? So you're not going to see Joe Harris. So I think some a couple of tweaks that the Nets uh, make here and there, Joe Harris is not going to go one for 11, and Kyrie Irving's not going to go nine for 22 uh, again. And uh, I think that they make the adjustments, and meaning the Nets, and win on the road. But that said... Give the Bucks a lot of credit. I mean, Antetokounmpo ended up 14 of 31. So, it's, it, it, you know, it's a solid shooting day. You know, Middleton really stepped up as well. They scored almost 80%. 80% of the offense came from those two guys. I, will you see? I mean, if that has to happen again on Saturday, will the Bucks win the game? I don't think so. They're going to need some other guys um, to step up. Drew Holiday probably won't go four for fourteen. So you you offset uh, what Joe the bad shooting night by Joe Harris, one of eleven. Uh, Drew Holiday also had a not so good shooting night at four of fourteen. I think he's a little bit better than that. That's why they went out and got uh, a Drew Harris so he could be. I mean, he was definitely an upgrade at the point guard position. Um, I still think again, to me. I don't know what Harden's status is in terms of his injury. I don't play him until the Bucks tie the series. If the Bucks win this game on Saturday, you gotta you gotta think about going back uh, with Harden. I just don't think. And again, I just think uh, you know Kyrie, uh, KD, they were the ones that came together 
initially. Um, and, uh, you know, I, yes, to have Harden, uh, again, from an offensive control perspective, better uh, than having a Kyrie. You let Kyrie play that off-ball uh, position. I think that's going to be better suited uh, for his skill set, especially having a guy like a Harden who's been very selfless, uh, been finding and again they haven't both they haven't all three played together but in only a handful of games but when Harden has played with either one and and really by himself I mean he's been I mean he's he's had to step up when neither Kyrie nor KD played he stepped up by himself but even with him stepping up and scoring the points he also has been able to score his own points when the other two stars uh, weren't there. So we'll see. I think the Nets do win game three, uh, game four, I should say, on Saturday and go up three games to one. The Jazz and the Clippers. Wow, the Jazz really had a, what, a 21-point lead uh, in the first half. Ultimately, the Clippers come back. I you know, in watching the Clippers, like I don't like, I, I'm, I'm, I just don't like what I'm seeing from the Clippers. I, that closeout game in the last series, I think Morris was really, really good uh, in in that series. Uh, he hit some. What did he hit? I think he hit like seven three pointers in that not that series, but in that game, he hit like seven three pointers. You know, Paul George is not the Paul George that we've seen in the past. I think that's the missing link. I think if Paul George can get warmed up because in that closeout series, he shot pretty well. Uh, the, the game on uh, the game two on uh, Thursday, eight of eighteen from the field. I mean, Kawhi Leonard has been really, really good, but I mean, Leonard's got to get some help. Uh, from somewhere he was I mean he was you know I, I thought Jackson now Jackson played well he's got some help uh, you know with with Jackson right but you know I, Paul Paul George has really got to step up he's really got to step up they probably need to get a little bit more from Nick Batum from in the scoring aspect I mean he does so many other things but he needs to you know they need to get some more uh, scoring from him Donovan Mitchell is absolutely tremendous. We forget about him because he's been injured a little bit as one of the top young players in the league and then overall one of the best players in the league. 27 points in the first half. He finishes with 37 points. He really propelled the Jazz early, and the Jazz ultimately, I mean, in a lot of respects, held on uh, to win that basketball game. Um, you, you, now you got to go back to L.A., uh, the Clippers are down two games to none. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, I, at this point, I don't see the Clippers winning Game Three, even though it's in LA. It's a little bit. It's different. You're at home. You're gonna have some fans in the stands. I, I like the Jazz. Like I like the Jazz uh, to win the series, and I like the Jazz to win this game on Saturday and to go up three zero a game. Mike Connolly, whatever his status is, he remains on the bench for me until the Clippers show me. I mean, now, I mean, again, I mean, if now if the Clippers, you know, come out and really just dominate game three, maybe you think about going back to him. I don't know because you don't want to take any chances. You know what the Jazz did in the last series against Dallas. Dallas was up two games to none. The Jazz, or the Clippers ultimately came back and won that series. So we'll ultimately obviously see how that series also plays out. 
My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Appreciate you joining us on Box to Row. For more information on the program, you can log on to our website at BoxToRow.com where we have some absolutely outstanding content on the site. Don't forget to tell a couple of friends about Box to Row as they can listen to the show each and every week right here on this radio station. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. What you doing? Where you at? Oh, you got plans. Don't say that. Shut your trap. I'm sipping wine in a robe. I look too good to be alone.